Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Alright, if you can find your place in Matthew's Gospel this morning, we're going to be in chapter 9. We'll be starting off in verse 18. Not a lot in the way of introduction today other than just to ask a couple of rhetorical questions, maybe get you thinking a little bit. And so here they are. Has God ever done anything for you? That, that's a loaded question. I mean, that's, that's a lot to think about. The, the longer you have known Him, the longer you have walked with Him, it gives you more to think about. What has God ever done for you? How about this one? How do you know you can trust Jesus? Just think about that. That's what we ask. That's what preachers ask all the time. Will you trust in Jesus? Will you surrender to Jesus? How do you know you can trust Him? That, by the way, is tied to the first question. Has He ever done anything for you? And then the third question is this. Do you believe Jesus is worthy of our faith? Is He worthy of placing all your trust and faith in Him? See, all those things are related because... The way you answer one will depend on how you answer the other. If you don't believe God's ever done anything for you, then you might not think you can trust Him. And if you don't think you can trust Him, then you might not think He's worthy of placing all your faith and trust in Him. The only problem with that is, those answers have a huge bearing on the rest of your life. How you live it. What happens at the end of it. So these are important questions. And thankfully, the text that we'll look at this morning is all about the authority of Jesus, which leads us to understand the faith of people who were coming to Jesus and why they thought that was a good idea. See, the, the four instances we'll look at in today's passage, we'll see faith in action. And we'll see people not having doubts about what Jesus was capable of doing, who He was, what He did, whether or not He was worthy of faith. Let's read. I'll start in Matthew chapter 9, verse 18, and we'll go down to verse 34 as we talk about four miracles of faith. Here's what the Bible says. While he was saying those things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. 
Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And at once the woman was made well. When Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder, he said, Leave, for the girl has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand, and the girl got up. And this news spread throughout all that land. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all that land. And as they were going out, a mute, demon-possessed man was brought to him. And the demon was cast out. After the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed and were saying, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying, He casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. Hmm. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you will speak clearly to us this morning. I pray you will give us understanding of this word and that you would also empower us to be obedient for your glory and for our good. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now that last verse kind of trips you up a little bit, doesn't it? We'll get to that in a minute. Those old Pharisees. Hmm. What does faith have to do with what Jesus does? Four miracles of faith. This, this passage is so interesting to me because every different piece of it demonstrates faith in a different way. And so we're going we're gonna to go through each one of these four things, these four stories. And the first one, actually, we're going to... Uh, it's, it's separated by the, the second one, so we're going to take the first one all together. But each one will show us a different aspect of the authority of Jesus. It's really interesting how this works out. The first one shows us this principle. Jesus has authority over death. The ruler's daughter. And you'll see verses 18 and 19 and then verses 23 to 26. So here's what's happening. Jesus was explaining this transformational life in the the kingdom of Jesus to John's disciples. If you recall what we just finished last week, he was explaining some things in verses 15 and 16 and 17 to John's disciples because they asked him a question. 
And so as he was saying those things, you see that in verse 18, while he was saying these things to them, here's what happens. This ruler, who is uh, a ruler of the synagogue, and see, you see these things from the parallel accounts in Mark's Gospel and in Luke's Gospel. You get other details about this story. This ruler comes up to Jesus. He's reverent. He is worshipful even. And he says to Jesus, My daughter's just died, but if you lay your hand on her, she'll live. That is a demonstration of faith. Right? If you go up to Jesus knowing what's just happened at your house, but you say to yourself, If I can just get to Jesus, if I can just let Him know what's happened, He can impact my circumstances. So the question for us is this. Have you ever had a moment or moments in your life when things are not good and you think to yourself, if I can just get to Jesus, if I can just talk to Jesus, He can change my perspective. He might not change my circumstance, but He can make a difference in my life. And by the way, that should be our course of action anytime anything happens ever. I just need to get with Jesus. I'll be quoting from two different gentlemen, different scholars throughout this message this morning. Leon Morris, who's just in an unbelievable New Testament mind, and also David Turner, who wrote a very helpful commentary on these, this text on the Gospel of Matthew. So I may not call their names every time, but I'll be reading some things they wrote. So here's what we need to understand about this particular ruler that came up to Jesus. The fact that a ruler of a synagogue who was involved in Judaism comes up to Jesus tells us he was desperate. Because that would not have been his first course of action. right? He was desperate because he probably had already uh, exhausted other sources of help. Because at this point in the story, in the life and ministry of Jesus, people in official positions had already started to regard Jesus as this dangerous false teacher. Because he was threatening their authority, right, with his new, newfound gospel message. So this ruler comes up to Jesus and asks for help. And so this demonstrates strong faith in who Jesus is and what he's capable of doing. He's also very reverent and worshipful in his attitude. But look at verse 19, how Jesus responds. There's no record of conversation. The guy comes up, asks Jesus to come help. Look at verse 19. He got up and began to follow him. So did his disciples. He's like, I don't need to talk about it. Let's go. I'm ready to do something. I'm going to take into account your faith in me, Jesus says, and now I'm going to go impact your circumstance because you've demonstrated a trust and a faith in me. So I'm going to reward that. So we're going to skip down now to verse 23. We'll come back to the story uh, found in verses 20 to 22. That will be our second point. But right now, let's finish out this story. Verse 23, Jesus responds immediately, no questions asked. Jesus enters the home, in verse 23, and he's greeted by this crowd of professional mourners. 
Now, we'll, we'll read more about this in, in Mark or in Luke, but here's what you need to know about this culture. A lot of times, this is part of the process of when someone passes, they have to have a certain number of people that are demonstrating grief and mourning over the dearly departed. And so, in this case, they didn't even wait for the man to get home. He gets home, and there's a bunch of musicians and people in there wailing and, and mourning professionally. You know, they're hired, they're, they're called in to, to come and do this and perform this service. And so there's quite a bit of racket, so to speak. And, and Jesus, in, in, this, in the text, uh, he even says, uh, verse 23, the crowd was in, in noisy disorder. Okay, not exactly what you're looking for in, in a tragic situation, right? A bunch of flute players and noisy disorder. Not, not exactly the best environment. And so this is what he finds. And so this is carried out, you know, soon after death. The girl's death, even though it was real, was not permanent. The people there thought the girl was dead. So all that remained was to go ahead and have a decent burial, a proper period of mourning. Jesus didn't want any of that. And by the way, just as a personal note, usually when Jesus shows up at a funeral, the funeral's over. You know, that, in, history will show us that. that uh, Jesus has something to say about that. You know why? Because he has authority over death. Jesus has authority over life and death. So he asked them all to leave, and you see what he says... Verse 24, leave for the girl has not died but is asleep. Now, what response does he receive? Laughter. Right? Laughter. Well, I guess you know you can't fault the people. They hadn't seen anything like that before. But Jesus knew what he was doing. It's funny though, the this, this skeptical laughter of the crowd really accents the greatness of the miracle because it shows a disbelief in what's about to happen because they don't know what's going on and they certainly don't know what's about to happen but Jesus does so as you continue to read verse 25 after the crowd was sent out he entered took her by the hand and the girl got up the funeral was over and the news spread everywhere as you could expect see Jesus has authority over death so what do we do about that how does that affect our understanding of the gospel when I say that word what does that make you think of the gospel literally it means good news Well, what's the good news if Jesus has authority over death then we can trust him with our lives the only way to be prepared for certain certain death, the death rate of the human race is 100%. We just don't know when. Right? So the only way to be fully prepared for death is while you're living is to heed the call of Jesus Christ upon your life. That's the basis of the gospel. Jesus Christ came to this earth and He lived a perfect sinless life, which is what we were designed to do, but we can't do it. And then He went to a cross 
and laid down his life voluntarily for sins he did not commit so that after defeating death as the perfect sacrifice and then rising from the dead and ascending back to heaven, all who would trust and believe in Him, put their faith in Him, will be forgiven of their sins, promised eternal life in heaven. It's the only way to be prepared for death is full belief and trust and faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only way. So if Jesus has authority over death, what are we to do? Run to Jesus. Just like the ruler's daughter. The ruler, when that happened to his daughter, what did he do? He ran to Jesus. That's what we should do. Number two, not only does Jesus have authority over death, he has authority over sickness. Verse 20 through 22. As he's on his way to this ruler's house, this woman, unnamed, unknown at least to us, she had been suffering with this bleeding disorder for 12 years. The Bible calls it a hemorrhage of some sort. You know what's interesting? If you go to Mark's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 42, and read this same account, he tells us that the girl, the ruler's daughter, is 12 years old. This woman had been suffering with this disorder for 12 years. I don't know what the significance of that is, but it seems kind of interesting that she's 12 years old. This woman's been suffering for 12 years. Interesting parallel, to say the least. This woman comes up behind Jesus and touches the hem of his garment, just the fringe of it. This right here is the most direct statement in Matthew's Gospel about the agency of faith in healing. It's the power of the woman's faith that plays a part in her deliverance. Not some magical power in the clothes Jesus was wearing. She knew she needed to get to Jesus, right? She had faith that Jesus could heal her. It didn't matter that it had been 12 years. She saw him, she saw her opportunity, and she didn't, she didn't think, well, I've got to explain, I've got to explain my situation to him, I've got to plead my case, I've got to make sure he really understands the severity of my problem. No, i just got to touch him, I've got to get to him. Sometimes when we pray, I fear we think we've got to really be articulate and really explain everything to Jesus because He doesn't know what's going on in our lives, right? Let me make sure He understands so He'll see how bad I need Him. Let me tell you a secret. Jesus knows how bad you need Him. He took it to the cross. He knows how bad you need Him. She just had to touch His clothes. I just got to get to him. Jesus turns. This is, this is so subtle, but I want you to look. Verse 22. Jesus saw her. He, he didn't just see her, he saw her. Jesus turning and seeing her said, What kind of response would you expect? This is a, a, a new, um, very conspicuous 
character that is on the scene. He is walking and talking and teaching and preaching and healing and doing miracles. He's got a lot of attention. And some woman comes up behind him and tugs at his coat. Might get a different reaction. Jesus turns around and calls her daughter. (laughs) So good. We see the compassion in who Jesus is. He says, daughter, take courage. Your faith has saved you. There's so much to be said about this. I don't want to take too much time. But I I do want to point out this very important piece of the story. When you see um, verse 21 and verse 22, the same word is used three times. It's the Greek word sotza. means saved. My Bible translated it, Uh, She was saying to herself, verse 21, If I only touch his garment, I will get well. That's not what she said. She said, If I only touch his garment, I'll get saved. I'll be saved. Spiritually, physically, I will be saved. I've got to get to Jesus. And verse 22, Jesus turning, seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has saved you. It says made you well. It saved you. And at, at once... At that hour, literally, the woman was saved. Why? Why was she saved? She believed in Jesus. She had faith in Jesus. She got to Him. She demonstrated her faith. If I can just get to Jesus, He he can save me. And He did. And He said so much, Your faith has saved you. You believed in me. Be well. Be saved. That hour, from that hour, immediately. His first word, Jesus, his first word is one of encouragement. It was probably very much needed. The life this woman led at this point probably was scared of being around people. May possibly have been the thought of perhaps Jesus would not like what she had done because if she had had this issue for 12 years. You know what that means? Ceremonially unclean. Excluded from worship. Excluded from the community. And yet she pushes through the crowd and tugs on Jesus' clothes. Is He going to take my cure away? Is He going to send me packing because I've done this? No. Daughter, take courage. Your faith has saved you. Everything she needed. Her physical ailment was gone. Her spiritual life was made new. Her cultural interactions were repaired. Everything changed in a moment because she got to Jesus. So what do we do with that? Jesus has authority over sickness. She said to herself, if I can just get to Jesus, He can save me. Do you know how true that statement is for each of us? It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. It doesn't matter the false claims this world makes to you. If you can just get to Jesus, He can save you. Our application is 
to incorporate this perspective of this poor woman who knew if I can just get to Him, He can save me. What are you going through? What are you dealing with? What problems are you facing? What spiritual challenges are in front of you? Have you gone to Jesus? Jesus can save you. Jesus will save you. Jesus is the only one who can save you. Believe in Jesus. It's the same gospel call in every story. It just looks a little different. Get to Jesus and He can save you. Number three, Jesus has authority over sight, over our senses. Verse 27, two blind men follow Jesus. It says in verse 27 at the very first of that sentence, as Jesus went on from there. So He's steadily moving and people are following Him because they understand, I need to get to Jesus. Two blind men follow Jesus and what do they say? Have mercy on us, this is important, Son of David. This is a very clear messianic reference. They're acknowledging by calling Him that. That's the Messiah right there. Do you all see that? That's the Son of God. That's the one who was promised in the Old Testament. There He is. And we've got to get to Him. Now, in my messed up brain, I, uh, here's what I thought when I first read this. How are two blind men following anybody? They're blind. <laughs> but it says the two blind men followed Jesus. Well, it gets better. Keep reading. Verse 28. When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him. How did they come up to Jesus? They're blind. They can't see him. Somebody's helping. They, yeah, that's right. That's right, Linda. They, they can hear. They hear his voice. Oh, this is good. You, need, you want to come up and preach this point? That was good. Can you hear Jesus when he talks to you? Can you hear Him when He calls? Are, are you listening for His voice? Because He's calling. Even, even a blind man can, can find Jesus. If you're listening. That's good, Linda. That's really good. Two blind men follow Jesus. Have mercy on us, son of David. They come up to Him, come after Him into the house. And Jesus questions their faith. Look at, look at what the Bible says. Verse 28. Do you believe? Do you believe I'm able to do this? In other words, do you have faith in me? You just called me by a messianic term, son of David. Do you really believe that or are you just trying to kind of get my attention? What's going on in there? Do you believe I am able Faith is being given here as a, a strong emphasis in this part of the gospel. Matthew's just brought out the place in the stories of the woman who came behind Jesus in the crowd, the man whose daughter was dead. So now what matters is whether or not these blind men believe that Jesus can do what they need him to do. Jesus touched their eyes, and listen to what he said. It shall be done to you 
according to your faith. Now, there's a whole lot you could say about that. The bottom line is the men's eyes were open. Jesus told them not to tell anybody. It shall be done to you according to your faith. Well, what was their faith looking like at that point? Well, it must have been pretty strong because they're blind and they tried to follow Jesus without being able to see. They followed him into a house and came up to him, still blind. They called out to him, referencing him as the son of David, which is an acknowledgement of him being the Messiah. They asked him for mercy. You know what mercy is? I'm not going to give you what you deserve. We'll give you something far better. They pray for mercy. They ask for Jesus to intervene. They acknowledge their belief. When he asked them, do you believe? And they say, yes, Lord. So Jesus opens their eyes. And then he tells them, now don't tell anybody. Okay, let's just pause a minute. Uh, they're blind. They got friends. Are the, the friends not going to realize they can see now? When they come back from seeing Jesus and they walk up to, you know, to one of their buddies, hey, some nice pair of sandals you got on there. What are you talking about my sandals? How can you see my sandals? Oh, I, I forgot to mention, I just ran into Jesus in town and, uh, yeah, I'm not blind anymore. Okay. I mean, you can't not tell, right? You can't not tell that. But why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus say, don't tell anybody? Make sure nobody knows about it, is what he said. Why would he do that? It's a test. A test of discipleship. How do you know if someone wants to be with you because of who you are or because of what they think you can do for them? What's their motive? Don't tell anybody what I did. Because, see, a lot of people are going to come after Jesus. Thousands, in fact. Doesn't Jesus multiply the fish and bread and feed 5,000 men plus women and children? Doesn't he perform that miracle? Right, so, so how do we know about all those people? Well, hey, let's hang out around Jesus. We might get another meal. We might get something. Well, do you want to follow me? Jesus says, well, I mean, that depends. You going to make dinner again? Now, before we laugh about that too much, we probably ought to look inside our own soul and ask ourselves a question. Am I really following Jesus? Or am I just hanging close to see if I can get anything? Do I just talk to Jesus when I'm in need? Or do I talk to Jesus because I love Him? And I know he loves me. Is he my 911 call? Or is he my good, close friend? Who is Jesus? See, over just a few chapters later in Matthew 12, Matthew's going to quote Isaiah 42 about this whole idea of not telling anybody about who he is. What's in your heart? Why are you following? What do you really want? Well, if Jesus has authority over our senses 
and over our sicknesses and over death. Here it is again. Do you believe? Are you answering the call? Have you considered? Now we're on this side. Matthew's context was not. We're on this side of the cross. What are we doing about that call? Are we considering what Jesus did? Are we considering the lengths to which He went to demonstrate His love and His faithfulness and His worth? Is He worthy of our faith? Yes. He's proven that in the most significant way. Are we listening for that call? Are we answering the call Jesus extends to us? The last part of the story is maybe the most profound. Number four, Jesus has authority over demons. And, and you could include over all evil. Verses 32 to 34, the last part of our passage. Jesus and His disciples have left the house where the blind men had been healed and a man was brought to Jesus who was demon-possessed and he was mute as a result. He couldn't speak. And the interesting thing about Matthew's account here in these last three verses is there's no detail about the actual miracle. It's just the fact that it happened. Because the Bible says in verse 32 that the demon-possessed man was brought to him, which means who's got the faith here? Whoever brought this man to Jesus had faith that Jesus could do something. So that we got to get our friend to Jesus. Right? So that's what happened. But look at verse 33. <laughs> it's just like a matter of fact. After the demon was cast out, what about when that happened? You know, tell me about that. That seems pretty significant. But no. It was just almost like a matter of fact. Like, well, of course he cast him out. It's Jesus. Right? Of course he did. So no detail about that. After the demon was cast out, now this formerly mute man spoke. And everyone was amazed as well they should have been. So those who brought the man to Jesus had expected a cure, but the crowds had not. Because by their astonishment, they're showing that they did not expect this to happen. They did not have, the crowds did not have the faith of the friends that brought the man to Jesus. And so what did the crowds say in their astonishment? Nothing like this has ever appeared in Israel. You know why? Because there's nobody like Jesus. <laughs> it's just plain and simple. Plain and simple. There is nobody like Jesus. I've got a friend up in the upstate and uh, he, he had this little phrase it just reminded me that every time something would happen like this something that God would do something and you know just show up in some way he'd just look at me and just shake his head and said can't nobody do it like Jesus can like, yeah that's right can't nobody do it like Jesus that's the truth miracles are not so much about immediate human needs as they are about God's ultimate deliverance from sin. Did you know that every single sickness, every single disease, 
the root of it is we live in a broken, sinful world. That's the root of everything. So, so what need is Jesus really after? The ultimate need. What's the, what's the, the root cause of this sickness or this disease or this problem? What's really at work here? It's sin. So, so Jesus is trying to deal with the sin. He's not trying to put a band-aid on something when it's got a deeper cause. You know what I'm saying? He's getting at the cause. And the last thing that we really need to discuss here before we conclude is this response from the Pharisees. Because, you know, always leave it to the Pharisees to say something really stupid. Right? Because you know that old saying. You can remain quiet and be thought a fool, or you can open your mouth and remove all doubt. Right? Well, the Pharisees opened their mouths. They thought that Jesus was casting out demons by the ruler of demons. Now, does that make sense to anybody at all? You remember a phrase that Jesus would say, a house divided against itself cannot stand. So if, if, if the demons are casting out themselves, that re- doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, does it? But that's, that's what desperate people do. Desperate people make up nonsense to try to explain what they don't want to deal with. Ooh, that was good. Somebody, I'm gonna have to go, somebody write that down, because I didn't mean to say that, but that was really good. That's what the Pharisees are doing. They shut their eyes to the good that Jesus does and ascribe it to the working of evil, which is perhaps the greatest blasphemy, is they're calling Jesus evil. You know what the Bible says? Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That's what's happening. And you know what's interesting about that? A little foreshadowing. You know what happens in Matthew chapter 23? The whole chapter is pronouncing woe on the Pharisees over and over and over. So what do we do about all this? Jesus has authority over death. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over sight. He has authority over demons. In fact, He just has authority. Period. We've mentioned this a couple times in the course of our study in Matthew. You know what happens at the very end of the Gospel? Let me show you. Matthew 28, 18. Do you remember what Jesus says before He sends us on our way with the Great Commission? All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. If there was ever a question in anyone's heart or mind about whether or not Jesus has standing in order to give us commandments or to rule our lives or to call us to faith and submission and surrender. If you ever wondered if that's the case, read that verse again. All authority in heaven and on earth is possessed by Jesus Christ. He's got every right to call us to repentance. He's got every right to send us on the Great Commission to make disciples over the whole earth. He's got every right to show us and give us the terms of our surrender, and we don't get to set those terms. Jesus says, if you're going to come to Me, this is what you need to do. He's not looking for a negotiation. He's looking 
for surrender. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what he's looking for. The gospel is a call to true life, true forgiveness. And it comes in the form of repentance and faith. Jesus has done everything necessary for our salvation. The only thing we brought to the table was our sinfulness. So Jesus calls you today. Do you have a problem? Do you have a challenge? Have you finally been made aware of your spiritual brokenness? Do you not see any way out of your current environment or surroundings or situations? Just come to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. That's the answer. That's the only answer. And thankfully, we don't need another one. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.